Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Sarah Khan. In this conversation, we talk about her being caught between East Indian culture and Canadian culture and finding ways to enjoy both. Of course, food is a feature of this conversation, so, I mean, that's always nice. Sarah also shares her experience with her parents' divorce and mental health. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Sarah Khan, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. And I know I say that whenever I have any guests on, but I just love <laughs> doing this show. It is the biggest pleasure in any of my days, any time that I get to record it. So I always start off the interview with how do we know each other? How did we get in touch? Do you have like a, a first story, first impression? I mean, it's pretty typical of modern times. Yes, you actually reached out to me uh, to be on one of your podcasts in your mecco.com umbrella mm -hmm. um, on um, broken bulbs. And I loved the format of what you were doing. And I uh, that's how we met is when you reached out to me to do that. And you told me I was very thorough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were super thorough. It was fantastic. I, I was like, okay. And then, I mean, then we had... You know, I always have a kind of green room conversation before and after the episode, and we, we chat a little bit. And just hearing a little bit about your story, I thought, I got to have you on My Wax Museum. I got to learn a little bit more about your life experience. And so, of course, where did you begin? Where were you born? I was born in Ontario, uh, in Canada. But when I was really small, my parents and I moved to Prince Edward Island, which is the smallest province of Canada. And I'm making up this number, but at the time, I think there was like 15,000 people on the entire island. Like that just tells you how small the place is. And when we moved there, we, um, we actually ended up with some immigration challenges for my parents, specifically my father, because his visa had changed. And over the next couple of years, uh, we fought this battle and they tried to deport all of us out of the country. But it was essentially won because of the media and gaining support, public support, because what they found out is that the government was trying to deport a Canadian-born child, me, out of the country with the parents. And so it actually ended up getting won in that way. Interesting. So was it, it was like a, like kind of the court of public opinion came and was like, hey, what the, what the heck government, you can't do that? Sort of, yes. And then some of the local politicians got involved and started advocating as well. So it was a huge process and it did take quite a bit of time. Um, and I don't really remember a lot of that entire time except for us selling everything because we had to pay for the lawyer's fees and we just anything that we owned was like being sold anything of any value. And also, I remember being at the lawyer's office and I would pick up the staples that were stuck in all of the carpet all over the office and the secretaries loved me because they thought I was cute picking up and going underneath all the desks and picking up all these staples <laughs> that's amazing that's so funny yeah. that that's got to be some of your earliest memories is dealing with this whole process and going through this Mm -hmm. It is one of my earlier memories. I actually have like this weird thing in terms of, I guess, like a lot of people 
have infantile amnesia, what you mm -hmm. think you believe that you remember for when you were a kid, you don't actually remember, but there are pieces based on these feelings and experiences that I've had that I've since been able to come together with my parents to figure out if they actually happened. And they did that. I realize I do remember things from when I was smaller that a lot of people wouldn't. Yeah. So in, in our earlier questions that I, that I ask every guest before I interview them, you mentioned that your first memory is you were at Niagara Falls. Did, did you and your family make a lot of those kind of touristy trips to see kind of the, the nature and the beauty and stuff that surrounds you here? No, I think we were living in Ontario at the time and you just have to go to Niagara Falls. Like I was born in Hamilton. It's not a, it's not a huge drive or anything. Um, so we went to Niagara Falls. I was just kind of like a baby and still in a stroller. And the wind was really, really strong that day. My, the wind blew my little apple bucket hat off my head over the fence. And my father went to go get it. And he climbed over the fence. My mother started to scream at him um, in Bengali because that's where my family's from. It's from Bangladesh. And then he brought me back my hat. So I didn't see pictures of this entire situation happening. But when I talked to my parents about it, they both explained versions of it that I realized that I did actually remember what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then and then so after Ontario, you moved to PEI where other other than the local politicians and the media coming to keep you in the country, mm -hmm. what what was that like? What what was your experience like growing up there? When I grew up in Prince Edward Island or PEI, um, there was very little multiculturalism. We were one of like five brown families that lived on the entire island. So it was you know, the Islanders are very nice. And I know a lot of people say, like you've had on your podcast, they say people are nice. And they are. They're very, very sweet, caring people. But they didn't have exposure to multiculturalism at all. So there was just a little bit of misunderstanding when it came to that. But also, um, there was, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in with the Canadians. Because I am East Indian, and I'm brown. And um so I was making all of these like adaptations to try to fit in, but didn't fit in. And it was really hard. And at the same time, those same adaptations from my, like from my culture were, they were mad at me and they didn't want to have anything to do with me. So I was kind of like being discriminated from the Canadian side and I was being discriminated from the East Indian side, which is not a popular conversation when I talk about it. So, but it was strange because there was just so few people there that I didn't really have anybody to talk to. And honestly, like I had no other relatives in this entire country or in North America until I was in my twenties. So it was just me, my mom and my dad and my parents split when I was seven so it was just a lot of the times me and my mom. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had this conversation on the podcast before with uh, Ralph Gonzalez. Uh, he was guest number 124. Uh, that hasn't come out by the time we're recording this. But he kind of talked about a similar thing, how he was kind of caught between two cultures and trying to enjoy both, but trying to not be discriminated by either of them. And so how did you end up balancing that? What what did you try to do to, you know, to fit in, to feel included in either culture? That it took many, many years. And at, realistically, what I ended up doing, and it was kind of like my way of surviving at the time, is I avoided the East Indian community. I was still a lot more accepted by the Canadians than I was 
from the East Indians. So I just avoided the community entirely. And that was just how I had to adapt. And to a certain degree, I've continued to do that. I'm very careful to the people that I associate with from the community, because if they are open-minded people and are very purpose-driven, um, then they'll be open-minded about everything. It's not just going to be one thing or the other. So it's uh, it's just the way that I've learned to adapt. But now I talk so much more about this subject, and I've now spoken about it publicly, and it's not a popular conversation. And as a result, like I'm starting to get a little bit more backlash from it. But now I've decided that I'm just going to keep going. It, it's important to be talked about, so I just keep going. And it's and it's your story. It's your experience that that you've gone through, and and you're communicating that. So I'm curious, though, to hear what are your favorite things about each culture. I would just like to say, like one of my pillars of who makes Sarah Khan up is food. Like I could eat a single bite of a million different things than have a big meal of one particular thing. And I have to say like just the variety of food is just so diverse and so completely different in both. So East Indian food is like, I just, I feel like it's like colorful and sparkly and, <laughs> uh, and like bursts of energy and flavor. Like that's what I feel like Indian food is. Mm-hmm. But then with, uh, within Canadian food, depending on where you are, like just being able to have things that are done locally, like living on the East Coast, you get the fresh fish and growing up in PEI, you get the fresh vegetables and being truly able to live off the land and around you. And what you can create with just the simplest of ingredients to me is uh, is absolutely incredible as well. So I would say like from both, it's not just a cultural thing, but it's food. And I feel like food just binds people together no matter what, like no matter where you are, what culture you're in, like that's what brings us all together, our bellies. Oh, totally. (laughs) I've, I've had people talk about Brazilian food on here and people, a lot of people talk about the Indian food as well and uh, Filipino food, like all these different types of meals and stuff. I feel like that's a primary conversation on the podcast is talking about good, good food because it is so culturally significant. Do you yeah. have do you have a favorite dish? Uh, if I had to say what a favorite dish is in um, my Bengali food, it's actually a lobster curry that my mother makes. Mm. So it's it's not something that you would have traditionally. And if in Bangladesh, it would be more like prawn because they don't have lobster, but it's essentially the same idea. Um, that is one of the favorite things that I, I, I love to have from the um, East Indian food. But then at the same time, growing up PEI, like I could just boil lobster and have it with some butter. And I'm happy with that too, right? I, I love fresh seafood, like fresh scallops and mussels and um, lobster. So those are probably my favorite, you know, of both, but it happens just to be lobster. I love it. I love it. People are probably salivating listening to this. Yeah. I know I am. I'm thinking like, <laughs> okay, yes, I need I need some really good, good food. Hey, Future Alex here, just popping in to mention that we do have an Instagram page that I'm sure you want to check out. Before each of these interviews, I ask the guest a series of questions and I take those answers and I put them up on the Instagram page as separate clips. It's pretty interesting bonus content that I'm sure you'll enjoy. That's at MyWaxMuseum on Instagram. Super easy. We'll see you over there. Again, that's at MyWaxMuseum. Now, back to the show. 
you mentioned that I think you said when you were seven, your parents split up. Is that right? Yes. And what was that experience like as as a kid seeing that happen? Well, one of the things that happen within our culture is you don't talk about what happens at home. Mm. It's everything is very closed and showing talking about things like this happening in your home shows weakness and it's not something that they want to talk about. So I was very much alone in the sense that I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I had nobody to talk to about it other than a couple of my Canadian friends. And it was very isolating because of the fact that um, I couldn't, I was with my mom most of the time, but it was always my dad leaving. And really like my dad didn't understand at the time, and he's acknowledged this, that my mother had mental health challenges. It's because he didn't, he didn't understand it. Nobody did. Nobody talked about mental health. And especially within our culture, you don't talk about mental health challenges. And so they themselves just didn't work out. But I was watching my mom fall apart due to her mental health. And I was watching my father fall apart because he felt helpless. So it was, and then me in the middle of all of that, and I just didn't have anywhere to go. It was, that, that was it. Like that was, it was very isolating. How did it, how did that continue to affect you as you were growing up having, having split parents? Well, my, my mother, again, she had mental health challenges Mm -hmm. and she was very, very angry all the time. And I found solace being with my dad because he was calm and kind and patient and, um, he was never scared to cry. Like he, he, it was, it was so funny. Like he was such an emotional man and, um, I mean, he still is an emotional man. I just mean at that time, especially when I was, I was younger, mm-hmm. like when, but, um, it was just trying to figure out how to find that balance because he also then would tell me like, be patient with your mom. Like you, she's your mother. Like you take care of your mother. And from a very young age, I realized that I needed to take care of my mom. So it was a lot of me taking care of my, I was my mom's mom from a very young age because I needed to protect her during all of these struggles that I didn't know this is what she was happening. So it was kind of strange with the parents being split and having that weird role. Like I could be a kid with my dad, but I couldn't be a kid with my mom. And were you, was that something you were aware of growing up or is that kind of a looking back, you realize more of what was going on? It's looking back. It, 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 there's a catalyst. Like when my mom, when I was 14, my mom had a restaurant and, and things, and she was in a car accident. And although she did hit her head and there was some problems with that, um, it was the depression. She went into like this dark depression. It would be a bright, sunny day outside. And um, it was like a dark cloud followed my mother everywhere. And she wouldn't talk. She wouldn't say anything. She wouldn't speak any words to anybody. It's not that she couldn't. She just was silent all the time. And at that time, I realized when I was thinking back, as to how many times I was trying to pull my mother out of the abyss and that particular time I couldn't do it. Then I realized how much I had been doing it my entire life. And then how did, how did that inform, how did that end up informing the rest of your growth and development? Like what kind of person do you think that that turned you into? I thought that I beat mental health, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Because I didn't fall apart like I saw my mom falling apart when I was younger. And I thought that if I can get through my teenage years and not fall apart that way, that I didn't have mental health challenges. But I did. And I do. And I 
finally had to deal with that and recognize that this is what was happening and to not be angry about it because of the fact that I could tell she was so angry about her mental health, but I didn't have to be the same way. And I started to actively make changes in my life and lifestyle because of the fact that um, I realized that I had more control than um, than I was willing to, I guess, that my mother was ever willing to admit herself and that I'd grown up around. So it was at least that I had this recognition because of having seen my mom gone through it, but I didn't want to follow her same patterns um, and habits that just made it worse for her. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And it doesn't mean that what she was doing was wrong. And it doesn't mean that somebody who has mental health challenges can necessarily just flip a switch and do that. But for me, it was like, I realized I would constantly have to deal with it every single moment of every single day. And that it was a part of me, but it didn't define me. So it was not ignoring the mental health, but it was just acknowledging it from where you are at that moment and then moving forward from there. I love that. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about this kind of thing on the show before about how we deal with mental health. I like how you're like, I didn't beat mental health, right? You, you might have thought, <laughs> I beat it, I did it. But it's always there. And it's something that we have to constantly deal with. And everybody deals with it in different ways and uh, through through different uh, fashions. And, and so I, I'm curious to hear what kind of things did you figure out, even leading up till now, what kind of things have you figured out work for you personally for maintaining kind of a healthy mental state? The days that I'm having a really hard day, I have to acknowledge that I'm having a bad day. Like hmm. there's no more excuses. There's no just trying to power through it. There's if, if I can't get out of bed that particular morning, then I'm not going to get out of bed. And this is somebody like I have a family, like I have young children. I will still take care of the stuff that I need to take care of most of the times. But if I don't honor where I'm at at that moment, it just makes it worse. It just keeps coming back up again and again and again. So for me, the first thing is that I just have to honor it, acknowledge it and honor it and to give myself permission to feel really, really crappy because I kept trying to change it. I was like, I kept thinking there was something wrong with me. Like, these, I have all these wonderful things, these beautiful children and like I'm healthy and why can't I just be happy? And it was just like beating myself over the head, like with this idea, like, why can't I, why can't I? And as soon as I realized, I'm like, no, you, like you need to be okay with not being okay, that it was like, okay, I just need to give myself some time. And it was only then that I could start to make changes in other ways because I need, I had that as like my anchor first, but as opposed to trying to change it all the time. So that's like my first thing of coping for my mental health. The biggest thing I think that I realized and what I tell people is that you have to honor where you're at at that moment. One, one thing that I really appreciate about our kind of modern era, modern conversation is that we're talking about this. We're not mm -hmm. just kind of setting it aside. We're saying, no, this is something we all deal with. Why, why are we not having this conversation? So I, I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, I, I kind of want to move on to a couple other subjects. What about after you grew up? What was it like for you becoming an adult? What was it like as you moved out, moved on, and, and kind of became your own individual? 
Well, I moved out actually from my mom when I was like 16 years old. So um, I started living my own life. I moved in with my dad for like a year and a half, but I started living my life at a very young age. And everything I did, I called it baptism by fire. Like everything was just like, I just threw myself into every single experience and I was determined to figure it out. Like that was just like, like Maria Furley, Furlio, I can't pronounce her last name, that book, Everything is Figure Outable. Oh, yeah, like that was like, it didn't even exist then. But I know that that's what I thought, like I could figure things out. And I feel like that created this like tenacity that I didn't recognize was actual tenacity. I just thought I was stubborn, which can also be part of that too. But the thing that I, what I realized the most as I grew up and really came into who I am as a person was this concept of empathy and realizing that it's kind of like my superpower. And not only is it that, but I can show other people how they have these series of skills that they can also hone to be more empathetic. So it's like some people are more innately empathetic than others, but it doesn't mean that it can't be taught. And when I really realized that about myself and it, it, it felt good on my heart to realize that because then I realized I could do so much to help other people and be able to pay it forward. And that was like the biggest gift of like growing up and becoming an adult was to realize that I had things to give people and it could just be something as simple as like empathy, a little bit of empathetic listening. What kind of activities did you get involved with uh, on your own or in groups in order to share that empathy and in order to give of yourself to others? Well, you know, it honestly just started with me sharing my mental health journey. Like I used to journal and then um, my journal turned into a blog and like journaling for myself. So my private journals that became kind of a blog. And then people started to message me. Um, first of all, those who didn't know I had mental health challenges that knew me very well and were quite surprised because I always seem so happy. And from the other aspect of other people saying, thank you for sharing your story. It gave, it's like, I'm going through something similar. I've gone through something similar or I don't feel so alone anymore. And I realized that sharing my story gives give solace to other people. And so it was really important for me to start to be able to share stories, to be able to help people in that way. And then what I realized is the more that I could act like not actively listen, I don't even like the word actively listen, but empathetically listen, that just these opportunities of being able to do that more for people just kept coming up. Like the more I listened, the more this opened up that more people wanted to talk to me and wanted me to get involved and do coaching and, and that sort of thing. So it, it just, it just kind of evolved from, from me just listening to people and letting them share their stories. I love that. And I know it's kind of weird to do a bit of a plug in the middle of an episode like this, but I (laughs) I do want to hear where people can go to, to find your work and to, to get more involved and kind of hear a bit more of your story. If you want to share your, your podcast and your website here, uh, now's the perfect time. Sure. So my podcast and my blog are fittingly called the depressed mom boss. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the depressed mom boss podcast and, uh, and blog. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is on my website, which is sarahcon.org. That's also where I have my blog or to find me on LinkedIn. If people are looking for professional stuff from me, like to go to my LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me because then you get a really good idea 
as to the scope of what I'm trying to do and who I'm trying to serve um, and how that we can kind of figure out a way to do it like collaboratively together. I love it. And I'm going to have links to those things in the show notes. And the reason that I do the plug in the middle there is so that we can just kind of ride the conversation all the way to the tail end of the show. So tell tell me more like as you begin to work through your own story, what kind of in what kind of ways did you end up growing just by just by looking at your story and really digging into more of who you are? Well, I think one of the biggest things for me was was changing my narrative. So there was this activity that I had to do. I was at a conference and I was in a room full of people and uh, we had to write these events that happen in our life or something that we tell ourselves. So I had this traumatic event that happened in my life. And the story that went along with this traumatic event is that I said, it, it destroyed me. Like it, it broke me that much that it destroyed me. And then you take another piece of paper and you write down that traumatic event, whatever it was. For, I mean, for me, it was a tra- traumatic event. And then they, you write down the story that it's supposed to be. And I'm like, why would anything good come out of something that happened so bad? And I was in this room full of people and I started to shake and I started to sob. And I realized how hard it was to let go of that old narrative. Like I couldn't. It was terrifying to let go of the pain. And it's not that I didn't it wasn't about throwing it away or ignoring it or not acknowledging the pain that that existed. It was just more like, am I going to live my life believing that that destroyed me? And at that moment, it was like, nope, the good that came out of that is that I started being able to share my mental health journey with people to help others with theirs. And then you take the piece of paper that you wrote the story that you don't want it to be and throw it into the middle of the table. And that was the end of it. I was like, that's that that was like one of the biggest catalysts for me because I realized I had the ability to change my narrative at any time. And it doesn't mean that you don't acknowledge and what's happened. It just means about how do you use that information to move forward? What does that do? What does that allow you to do? Who do you become? You know, what what defines you now moving forward? So that was a really big thing for me was just learning to change my narrative. Yeah, that's like a really momentous moment. You know, I, I like that. And I like the the symbolism that's captured there. You, you write it down and you just toss it away. You know, you say, that's not the story I'm telling myself anymore. I'm growing from this. I'm letting myself grow and move on. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so turning now to your future, how are you going to continue doing this down the line as you continue to grow, as you continue to improve and develop as an individual? Uh, Well, there's many things that have kind of come out of it. Like uh, I consider myself like a healthy lifestyle designer. And so I realized that I can help people bridge the gap in whatever the case that may be for them, because I feel like it is like how I keep coming back to the fact that you have to honor where you are, but then there's where you want to go. So what's the gap in between? And that could be in health and nutrition. It could be in revenue. It could be in mental health or whatever. Like it can be translated into so many different things. So really focusing on my work with uh, people in doing that is something that fills my cup in such a way that I just keep feeling like I can keep paying it forward. And also like being able to talk about it with people like on, on like 
platforms like this, being able to share my journey and create some more awareness just from my story, because you know, people may hear these similar similarities from one person's story to the next, but there's something that somebody says sometimes in that one time, that person, and that's what st stuck with them. And that's what changed it for them. And being able to continue to do that is like something I'm hoping that I can continue to do in as many ways as possible. And then just helping, yeah, people bridge that gap and make helping, you know, create empathetic leaders in this world. I like that. Yeah, I think I think empathy is probably one of the most important qualities we should, you know, hope for in leaders and mm -hmm. uh, and maybe even come to expect it. You know, that should be an integral exactly. part of of leadership. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I like that. Now. I have I have one last question, and I'd like you to to take a moment to elaborate on it, to to let yourself really um, share what you think about this, and that is at the end of your life when you're looking back on all the experiences you've had. Hopefully, you've encouraged others to become more empathetic individuals. Hopefully, you I'm assuming you have already become a more empathetic individual. But at the end of your life, when you're looking back on everything you've done and accomplished, what do you think are going to be the things you're going to be most proud of and satisfied with? I think if I can be remembered as a person who was kind, then everything I've done up until that point and everything I've accomplished has been worth it. I like that. I think that's a simple and uh, very important legacy that that hopefully any of us can leave behind is to be remembered for our kindness so mm -hmm. with that i just want to say it was very kind of you to join me <laughs> and share your story on here so i'll certainly remember you that way and with that i just want to say thank you for joining me oh thank you so much alex for having me on your show and thank you for listening not just to the show which we certainly do appreciate but more so to the people around you, the people from your everyday life that you just happen to know. Make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.